0: Well. Good morning. If you don't know who I am, my name's Steve. I'm a member of the elder team and a member of the preaching team. I'm the other half of the lorry who's work in the VBS that uh, Jeff talked about earlier. And I was just chatting with someone before the service about what a great week last week was, amen? Just wow, the the folks that were here, the time that we spent, um, music and the singers, guys, just uh, what a fantastic um, set you guys did last week. It was great, the sermon, just great to be together celebrating what we have. we are in the book of Ephesians. And I want to do a little bit of review for you to catch you up because we took some time off um, and, and celebrated Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter service. A couple sermons ago in Ephesians, if you recall, there were three mind blows that Paul referenced and just celebrated The fact that, and and this is so important to the book of Ephesians, what Paul shares is that while everyone might have expected that folks would just get absorbed into Jewish society to be saved, what happened when Jesus came is he blew up any notion of what God's people might look like. He blew it all up completely. It had never really been pointed to clearly, even in Scripture. And he blew it all up, and he made a brand new society completely centered around Jesus Christ. And that was just, and and Paul goes into some beautiful language to explain that. And then the second mind blow for Paul was that God chose Paul chief of all sinners, someone that was murdering Christians to then go and proclaim this new society. society. And the third mind blow, if you recall, was that God is using us, this new society centered around Jesus Christ, to teach angels what God is doing. And that one is just so full of mystery and beauty. Um, And then after... We took a look in the words some more and saw that church, this place, this body, this new society is not a spectator sport. It's a place that God has created for those that love Jesus to exercise the gifts that he's given to all of us. And that was the last sermon in Ephesians we were in. And in that last sermon, I preached... As soon as I finished that sermon, I was going on vacation, so I was a little excited, and I got off my notes a little and um and and I made fun of mushrooms and and so David and I are on a way path back to reconciliation, but <laughs> he's still not talking to me um, <laughs> and then I', would, I would, we literally left here and got, got our bags and drove to Boston, and Mark Pierce is texting me, oh, that's what you mean when you say get off your notes. I was like, yeah, it's terrifying. Anyway, I'm sticking to my notes today. Lori and I took a vacation, and we went like everybody else does, apparently, and we went to Florida. We, have, we empty-nested during the last couple years, and there were no kids on vacation, Kids are such a gift from the Lord, <laughs> but I tell you what, vacation with no kids is a blessing unlike any other. We had, a one, we, we spent every day, all day, outside, boating. Some of you see Lori on Facebook, you saw we were boating, fishing, swimming, Kayaking, We just had a wonderful time. The weather was perfect. And the first day down there, uh, the folks from my work, um, I work with a whole bunch of people. I love every one of them dearly. They sent me a text the first day and said, Hey, Steve, the team all got together, and we got you a gift card. We got you a gift card to dinner. There's a restaurant in the town that you're in, we got you a gift card to Chef Michaels. Chef Michaels. Their theme is peace, love, and hogfish. <laughs> um, that's right on their big sign outside in, in, the, in the parking lot. And the text that I got said, oh, it's casual. We got your gift card. Just go see Ashley. Pick up the gift card and have a great time. Oh, Lori and I are like, that's so awesome, man. That they, that's so thoughtful. So... You had to make a reservation and that should have been my first clue but so we called called Ashley and made a reservation and the only time they could take us was Thursday at 5 and so that's when they open as you can see from the pickup there um, when you pack for a trip to be on a boat or on a beach for some time what do you pack Yeah, a bathing suit, flip-flops, and T-shirt. I didn't even bring a quarter zip, if you can imagine it. Uh Uh-huh. So what Lori and I did was probably 90% of our meals were outside. They have all these wonderful places to sit outside and the whole nine yards. And so um, we wore what we wore to every meal to Chef Michael's. Beach clothes, flip-flops, sunglasses, a hat, so I don't burn this right here where there used to be hair. And so we were the first ones there, no problem. Then the place started filling up. And it became obvious that the place was not casual. And we were not wearing the right clothes at all and what you love about it is that they put you at the little table right next to the door as everybody walks in and they want to see what you're eating and then oh and I've never felt so judged in my life I'm from Maine so I don't care but (laughs) it it was very clear that we were out of place the food was delicious I got the duck it was amazing but we did not look right sitting there especially as the place filled up We, we just stuck out like a sore thumb and like I said we didn't care because the food was good, but we didn't look right. And so today's sermon title, thats just a, 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 an example to get you into the thinking of what Paul's going to take us to today. Today's sermon title is Dress Code. <laughs> they didn't have one, but they had one, you know what I mean? <laughs> and we're going to be in Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 32. And I, and, I, and I need to get us into a, a mindset as we approach this passage today. But given everything Paul has said, the mind blows, the new society, what Christ has bought for us, all these things, what do we look like? And so this is what Paul is going to tell us in today's passage. What should we be wearing based on everything Paul has said? But there's an important question that drives everything in today's passage. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Well, we know the standard answer to that. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Put it on the bumper sticker and off we go. The way that the law has been removed from us, the judgment we deserve was taken by Christ, amen. And when Christ rose from the dead that we celebrated last week, he proved his power over death. And we can be sure that one day we will be resurrected because Christ was resurrected and so what are we? We're no longer judged. But what else are we? And so I've got, the, the sermon is bookended by two J.I. Packer quotes and I'm not, um, and I'm proud of it. Um, we're adopted children. Listen to J.I. Packer. He's got a quote up here. Adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name to be right with God the judge is a great thing but to be loved and cared for by God the father is greater you have been adopted you are loved and cared for by the creator of the universe First John 3 1 says see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We're children of God, loved by God. What does that look like? And so Paul's going to tell us in the next few verses. But to summarize today's passage, and I want, I want, you, to, I want you to put your thinking cap on a little bit. I'm going to put it this way. Being who you are involves constant and radical change. Being who you are involves constant and radical change. We're going to break this up and we're going to go through the passage together. Fundamentally, Paul is telling the church in Ephesus that they simply cannot continue in a life characteristic of their past as if nothing that Paul has shared ever happened. So let's say a brief prayer before we dive into this. Heavenly Father, we as fallen human beings love ruts. We love to get into a place where we can just stay and things work out. Your word is going to challenge each and every single person in this room, right where they are today, that we are not to remain where we are. We are to be constantly changing, constantly becoming more like your son. So... For each and every one of us, Lord, I pray that we'd put ears on, that we'd hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the first thing that Paul's going to explain, he's going to explain four things in this passage, and I got the first one up here. Being who you are involves knowing who you were. Being who you are involves knowing who you were. Verse 17. Now this I say, Paul says, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And I want you to see when Paul says, in the Lord, Paul is claiming authority. God has given them this message, and he's delivering it to the people. He could speak in God's name, and he's doing that clearly in this passage. And Paul says to walk differently than you used to. And how did you used to walk? The way that you used to walk, note what Paul says, in the futility of their minds. In the futility of their minds. And so what does this look like? In the futility of their minds. I mean, it's just a few words there. What is that? And Paul actually explains what the futility of their minds looks like. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They're darkened in their understanding. They don't get it. They're alienated from God because they don't get it, and they don't get it. Why? Because their hearts are hard. Futility of the minds detailed out in Ephesians four eighteen, And the result of the futility of the mind, is verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And so, Stott says it this way. He says, thus, hardness of heart, and follow the trail here, thus hardness of heart leads first to darkness of mind, then to deadness of soul under the judgment of God, and finally to recklessness of life. And so Paul is describing the world around the church at Ephesus. And it does a great job of describing the world around us. They're not that different. Indeed, many would say that the world around Ephesus was even more uh, licentious or whatever words you want to use than, than our society is today. And it's not just talking about individuals, but it's talking about the general culture and direction of those who are alienated from God. And so this is who we were without Christ. In order to be who you are, it's important to understand who you were. Hard hearts, darkened minds, without direction. It's important to know what we are to be different from. And so being who we are, involves knowing who we were second it involves our mind and i and i want to make sure as you if you're if you've got your bibles open and you're looking at ephesians chapter 4 you can see how these first few verses are just permeated with paul's reference over and over and over again to your mind in describing what we were paul used these terms the futility of their minds darkened in their understanding, ignorance that is in them. And what goes along with that is a slide to a recklessness of life. And you guys that have heard me preach a few times know how much I love this next word. Paul uses it masterfully in so much of his writing. Verse 20, but. But that is not the way you, and I want you to see the word again, that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And so do you see the words Paul uses right here? Learned, heard, taught. It is incredibly important that your mind is engaged. In this verse verse 20, It's not the way you learned Christ. Learned Christ, this particular phrase isn't used anywhere else in the New Testament. Why? Because we learn subjects, we don't learn people. But Paul feels like it's appropriate here and it absolutely, this is the way you learned Christ. But learning Christ refers to lots more than just intellectual indoctrination about him. Paul has in view relationship a relationship when you, those of you that are married you can say yeah I got married and then I learned my spouse and the end of verse 21 I want to make sure you see the truth is in Jesus the truth is in Jesus it's right there the truth is in Jesus looking for truth it's in Jesus what truth that's where we're going. What truth is in Jesus? Paul is going to tell us, and I need to make sure you really get, when Paul says the truth is in Jesus, and then this is what it is, we need to have our ears on in here. Verse 22. The truth that's in Jesus is to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the great preachers of the 20th century, this is is what he said. He says, when the apostle tells us to put off the old self, he means stop being what you are not. We say to a man, don't be a baby. You're now an adult man. Don't behave as if you were a baby. Stop being what you are not. That is putting off the old self. Putting on the new self is the opposite of this. It is be what you are. The trouble with us all is that we are not what we are. Doesn't that sound weird? But I hope you're getting it. The trouble with us all is that we are not what we are. And this is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. I'm not trying to be paradoxical. This is Christianity. Be what you are. And so verse 22, put off your old self, which belongs to what he's already described, verse 23, and be renewed, oh, there it is again, in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. If what we were which we looked at, was due to the futility of our minds, if what we were was due to the futility of our minds, then Christian righteousness depends on the constant renewing of our minds. To learn Christ is to grasp the new creation which he has made possible and the new life which comes from it. It is nothing less than putting off our old humanity, like a rotten garment, like you've been out mudding or something, take it off and put on clean clothing, putting on the new humanity that's recreated in God's image. Verse 24 is added to the mind blow list. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The truth is in Jesus. What is the truth? The old has got to go. The old has got to go because the old is not what you are. What you are is the righteousness of Christ. And when you put on the righteousness of Christ, you look a certain way, you do certain things. And so we need to be careful about the gospel being Without a doubt, what we've celebrated, we have eternal life because of the gospel. We live in the gospel as well. We live in the gospel. We are clothed with Christ's righteousness. How do we act? And so the, the next thing that Paul's going to tell us is that being who you are involves actual change. Being who you are involves actual change. Let's close in prayer. No, this is where it gets fun, guys. This is where it gets hard. It's great that Paul can go from such grace, lofty talk about about Jesus and the truth and where we were and talk about our two humanities. He can go from that about the Christ that we've learned and the new creation we've experienced and then he can get to the nitty-gritty of Christian behavior. And so you say, Steve... Where is the application for today's sermon? Here it comes because Paul gives it to us. Right? The first three chapters, if you heard us when we, when we went through the introduction to Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians are my comfy zone. It's, theo, it's theology. It's concepts. It's explaining. And the last chapters of Ephesians are all about how then shall we live. And Paul is going to come right at us and tell us that being who you are involves actual change, actually deciding to do something different. And it's incredibly important for you to see that what Paul is going to talk about when Paul gets to the application of the truths that he's been sharing, and what does taking off the old self and putting on the new self in the image of Christ, what is that? How does it look? It involves relationships. If you're looking for a passage to memorize... You're like, you know what, I could use something just to kind of stimulate me and to to challenge me. Verses 25 through 32 of Ephesians 4 would be a wonderful thing for you to get ingrained in your brain. Let's start, verse 25. Therefore, therefore what? Paul said, Jesus is the truth. The truth is taking off the old, putting on the new. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor For we are members one of another. Don't lie. Got it. Okay. And that is not where Paul stops. Okay, every time you see Paul talk about the negative, he's always going to present the positive with it, especially in today's passage. We are to actively pursue truth. Actively speak the truth to our neighbor. And so many of you have the don't lie part down. But to actively be speaking the truth to those around you, this is the challenge. And what did Paul say? The truth is in Jesus. Paul says to speak the truth with your neighbor. Why? Because we are members one of another. Zechariah 8.16 says, These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another, render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. If you're taking notes, I don't, I've got a quote from Stott I did not put up on uh, the slides, but Stott says this. Hear me as I read it. Fellowship is built on Trust. And trust is built on truth. I'm going to say it again. Fellowship, which we all love, is built on trust. And trust is built on truth. Do you want fellowship? Put away all falsehood and speak truth to each other. Do you like to play around with the truth? White lies, half-truths, if it's a challenge for you, make today the day you resolve to always tell the truth. It will make a difference in your life and in your relationships, a real one, a big one. So I do believe it's possible to look, and accurate, to look at verse 25 as an umbrella over the following verses. You can think about it, but Paul then turns to one of our favorites, anger. Verse 26, and I would love for someone else to come up and preach this part. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Okay, so if you're looking for an application today, the first thing Paul said, speak truth to one another. Second one, right here, be angry and do not sin. Psalm 44 says this. And if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to it and meditate on this passage. That's cool, but if not, it's all right. Psalm 44 says this. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Psalm 44, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds. And be silent. Mm. Be angry. Some of you are like, it's in the Bible. (laughs) Be angry. Boy, you got to be careful here. I'm not sure if you can call it a fine line or a gaping chasm in between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. There's an entire sermon on just this. But Paul feels it important to say, look, when I tell you to put off the old and put on the new, first of all, you're speaking truth. That is what you are to do. The second is, in your anger, do not sin. (laughs) The Bible leaves room for righteous anger against evil in this world. It does. So, Steve, could you put up a slide that tells us which which, which angers are legit? And what I would tell you is this is one of those places where your knowledge of the Gospels is critical. You want to look at Jesus on this. Each of the Gospels maybe takes somewhere between 30 minutes to an hour to read. And it is really intriguing for those of you that would like to take this challenge, if you were to read any one of the Gospels and with the mind toward, well, what made Jesus angry? Just that. I want to just check out and see when it was that Jesus was angry. Where was Jesus' anger directed? It was toward those who led others astray. Almost exclusively. Those who Jesus was there for to save that were being dragged away by somebody else. And when Jesus saw them being dragged away, boy, was he upset with those false teachers. It was always about truth, it wasn't about when things were difficult for Jesus. things were most difficult for jesus you saw the least amount of anger interestingly enough and what was the prescription it was always to speak truth and so use jesus as your example because this is a tough one so we need to look hard really hard when we're angry is there selfishness involved We tend to be the most angry when things are made difficult for us. James says the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so, if you are angry at something that's appropriate to be angry at, Paul tells us three things. First, don't sin. We have to make sure that our anger is free from an injured pride, from spite, from hate, and the spirit of revenge. But I'll tell you what, when we're angry, I can tell you honestly, I don't know if I've ever been righteously angry. angered. There's always something. Second, deal with it quickly. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Anger that simmers and stays in the background... You know what that does, especially if you've got brothers and sisters. Turns into an explosion. So first, don't sin. Second, deal with it quickly. Third, give no opportunity to the devil. Satan knows how fine the line is between righteous and unrighteous anger and how hard it is for us to deal with anger correctly. So he loves to lurk around angry people hoping to be able to exploit situations to his own advantage and provoke people into hatred or violence or a breach of fellowship. Anger, in your anger do not sin. This is a rough one. Maybe impossible. But Paul says, what you are as an adopted child of God, when you're angry, Do not sin. Verse 28. Let's keep going. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Here we've got the eighth of the Ten Commandments. And notice what Paul is actually saying here. He's saying, yes, the eighth commandment, don't steal, got it, understood. But what is supposed to happen in the put off and the put on is that the thief is supposed to become the philanthropist. That the night and day of what, is, what happens with new life in Christ is the thief becomes the philanthropist. And so Paul, is. this is very much his message to the church. He's saying that thieves fail the community of faith not because they steal from other Christians, but because they're not actually promoting it. They're not actually giving. They're not actually giving to others. This is the challenge Paul's calling at, calling out. And so the principle here is don't be a leech. Always look at your work as a way to put you in a position to help others. Did you hear that? Always look at your work as putting you in a position to help others. Always look at your work as putting you in a position to help others. Your family, without a doubt. But Paul goes beyond that. What does he say? So that you might have something to share with anyone in need. If your work is just work, just paying bills, you limit your ministry. Okay, so we've got speaking truth. We've got being angry and do not sin. We've got working so that we can help others. Oh, and it just gets so much easier. We're just on the downhill now, guys. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. You say, Steve, corrupting talk. I didn't corrupt anybody. What is that? All right, you want the list? Here we go. Lying, we already talked about it. Obscenity, abusive language, gossip, flattery that manipulates people, cynicism, judgmentalism, slander, contemptuous, hateful talk, condescending speech, patronizing people, sarcasm that cuts and degrades, mockery, ridicule, need I go on? Paul says no corrupting talk, and again we see Paul says no corrupting talk, and he says, but this, take off the corrupting talk and put this in its place. Because when you say to me that list of things, this list of things that make up corrupting talk that have to do with making sure I'm not doing them, what's my answer? Shut up and never say, never open your mouth again. And Paul says, no, that's not the answer. That is not who you are. That is not who you are. Who are you? You're one that is speech that is good for building up. And what does that look like? Encouragement. Encouragement. Just find somebody a word of encouragement. Truth. Got it. Words that build confidence in others. Words that remind others of their identity in Christ. Praise. What we do when we're together. Singing. Reassurance. Reassuring someone when they've failed. Comfort. Sympathy. instruction. Rebuking a brother or sister for sin. Loving criticism. That is talk that is good for building up. And Paul says, why? That it might give grace to those who hear. Is it possible that our words are a channel of God's grace to others? You think about it. But think about what it means when Paul says that it might give grace to those who hear. What you've put off is corrupting talk. What you've put on is talk that actually is a channel for God's love to others. Night and day. And so, being who you are involves knowing who you were. It involves your mind, as we've seen. And it involves actual change. Put off and put on. And finally... Being who you are pleases God. Being who you are pleases God. And Paul paints this point in the negative in verse 30. He says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This particular verse gets thrown around a lot. Make sure it's in context when you hear it. What grieves the Holy Spirit of God? Is not putting on the things he's called us to. And so when believers act in a way that harms those around them, especially in the church, God is grieved, and we are not being who we are. I hope you get this concept. You see. St- you grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. A wax seal had the mark of ownership or identification stamped on it. You can get this idea. Who are we? That stamp says we're gods. We're adopted children of the creator of the universe who loves us. He's our father. And the next two verses are Paul's mic drop of being who you are. These are the things that do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So when you hear the term of grieving the Holy Spirit thrown around, make sure you're in Ephesians 4. Make sure you understand the the context. These are the things that do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, let all, Hmm. some, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. The one that might cause you a, a, a moment of pause is clamor. Uh, that is... Uh, some um, translations say brawling. Um, It's basically this idea of yelling, fighting, whatever that might be, all put away from you. And so I've got an example. If you've heard of B.B. Warfield, he was a theologian back when Princeton cranked out cool theologians. Um, In 1876, listen to this, at the age of 25, B.B. Warfield married Annie Pierce-Kincaid and took a honeymoon to Germany. During a fierce storm, on their honeymoon, Annie was struck by lightning and permanently paralyzed. After caring for her for 39 years, Warfield laid her to rest in 1915. Because of her extraordinary needs, Warfield seldom left his home for more than two hours at a time during all those years of marriage. Warfield was convinced that trusting in and writing about the sovereign grace of God was much better than wallowing in the bitterness of a heartbreaking, life-changing event. And I say this to encourage. Paul is telling us to let all bitterness and these other things go because it's not who we are. And I know many of you are struggling and working with caring for family members. It just seems like this season right now, things are amplified with so much of that. Paul is challenging us. Jesus is the truth. We need to put off and put on these things that he's calling us to. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And as Paul is doing over and over again in today's passage, instead verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. There's your mic drop. Be nice be nice. Tender-hearted means compassionate. Forgiving one another is literally acting in grace toward each other. And this is Paul's message to the church. There's a whole month of sermons on forgiveness in general. This is amongst the believers that we should literally be acting in grace toward each other. The church is full of folks that make dumb, stupid mistakes, don't think about what they're doing, offend others, and we need to have this atmosphere, this environment, where we're acting in grace towards one another because God and Christ acted in grace toward you. You are forgiven, adopted, child of God, be who you are. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be different. Be who you are, not who you were. And this is work that you have to put in. This does not come automatically. This is work. It actually requires effort from us. It involves our mind, it involves our decision-making, it involves prayer, and it involves the Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit of a God inside of you to help every day. And so I told you I had this sermon bookended by Packer Quotes. Here's the other one. And just a great summary of this. The whole New Testament labors the thought that Christians will be radically different from those around them and from the way they themselves lived before. The proclamation of newness, which is what Paul is chasing here, old to new, the proclamation of newness is both a divine gift and a Christian obligation is loud and clear. We have work to do, and it involves our relationships. It involves us putting off the old attitudes, the old thoughts, the old ways of being and putting on new ones with those around us. Another shorter quote from Packer says, the Christian's motto should not be let go and let God. And if you have a t-shirt with that, get rid of it. The Christian's motto should not be let go and let God, but trust God and get going. You see, I hope you hear the challenge from Paul. It's not from me. It's from God's word, and this is for every single one of us. Being who you are involves constant and radical change. If the singers and the musicians want to go ahead and come on up, that's great. Brandon, where are you? You need to be up here for this whole song. Where is he? I don't see him. Is he up here? Brandon, I'm serious. I need you to come up here. I wasn't wasn't kidding. So being who you are, let me summarize, involves knowing who you were, involves your mind, it involves actual change, and it pleases God. Every single one of us can take today and figure out what it is that God wants us to do to be who we actually are, to be who we are. And so we're going to sing, and we're going to sing, we're going to ask God for help with this. We're going to sing, let revival come. We're going to to sing a song of praise, but it's also a prayer. Asking God for help to us to put off the old and put on the new constantly. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are, we're asking you to move. We're asking you to move in our hearts. We're asking you to move in our lives. We're asking you to move in our minds. We hear you. We hear you. We hear what your word has challenged us with. We are your adopted children. We are loved with a love that we can't even comprehend. And yet we consistently want to go back to old ways, to ways that make us feel better, the ways that that we used to find ourselves steeped in. And your challenge to us today is to put all of that completely off and to be constantly and radically changed by your love, by the gift of your son praise you that we're forgiven. We praise you for the opportunity to sing, even as we do now, this amazing song. We look to you to help us change. In Jesus' name, amen.